All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm speaking to you from New York City on this, the 29th day of May, 2018. And I do want to remind you that I am the editor of Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. Uh, you can subscribe to that newsletter by going to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com, or you can call our office during normal work hours at 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426. Also, I'd like to suggest you consider subscribing to Chen Lin's uh, What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? That's a, a, a market letter. It's an email that goes out whenever Chen finds something that's uh, noteworthy and uh, buy or a sell recommendation he makes to his paid subscribers uh, any time of the day during the market um, during the market hours it's chenpicks.com for more on Chen Lin's newsletter I do want to thank each of you for listening to this show making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel and I do want to invite you to keep your questions, comments, criticisms and praises, I don't mind those either keep them coming to questions for taylor at gmail.com questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. I want to thank you. Uh, I want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable, and our sponsors for today's show are in resources, Belmoral Resources, Bontero Resources, Genesis Metals Corp., Klondike Gold Corp., Northern Empire, and Novo Resources. And I do like to remind you that the sponsors are by invitation. They are companies that I have recommended in my newsletter. They are companies also that I own shares of in personally. Uh, and um, as far as news goes today, there was a, a news item from Northern Empire. They drilled 33.5 meters of uh, 0.61 grams per ton in this Nevada project. We'll be talking to Michael Allen, the president and CEO of Northern Empire, after our first commercial break. Um, and um, Noble Resources, uh, their stock has been performing quite strongly in the last couple of weeks. I believe what's happening here is there's an anticipation of assays from the bulk sample at Comet Well. Uh, last time Quentin Henning was on this show, he promised results by the end of this month, and that means we only have uh, a couple of days to wait uh, for that to come true. I've titled today's show the, uh, the Threat of Surging Oil Prices. Well, we actually set up this show before the oil prices started to decline fairly significantly. Nonetheless, John Rubino will be with me uh, as my main guest in the second half of the hour to discuss the oil prices, where they are now, what's going on in the dollar, uh, and uh, the, the interest rate scenario, and what that might mean for emerging markets and all that. So John Rubino will be with me in the second half of the hour. Michael Allen, as I noted, will be with me right after the first commercial break. And I'm really pleased to tell you 
that Michael Oliver is with me right now. Thanks for joining me again, Michael. Hi, Jay. Good to be here. Always good to have you. And, you know, whenever you miss, which isn't that often, uh, we have withdrawal symptoms around here. So um, we're glad to know you. I believe you're going to be with us next week, and then we, we'll have to We'll have to prep our people uh, to know that you're, I think two weeks from now you're not going to be here. Sometime in the near future anyway, I think there's a date when you'll not be able to be with us. But in any event, boy, we're really having some some pretty violent market action, especially in Italy now and uh, in the Eurozone. Talk to us a little bit about what you're seeing in the charts for some key markets in the, uh, in the well, Eurozone. We, we know the, the big problem, most good analysts, uh, fundamental, I'm speaking now, uh, that I might happen to agree with, uh, know that the real problem in the world is is debt and uh, government mm-hmm. debt in particular and the, the manipulation of money prices, the cost of money and so forth. And that, mm-hmm. That's been going on too long and therefore it's created time bombs. Italian debt bomb is one of them. It, uh, it just uh, exploded. Mm-hmm. Uh, its yields are going up very rapidly. And <clears throat> at the same time, the yields on German bonds are going back down. So the spread between the two is just going rampantly against Italy. Similarly, you're getting an explosion in Spanish yields. So while the, the wealthier, productive parts of Europe have covered the bets, so to speak, for the, the debt problems, uh, thanks to the work of Draghi and so forth, of transferring money from one to another, uh, he kept rates that are artificially wrong spread levels, and they're unleashing, which tells us one thing. It tells us uh, he ain't control anymore. Yeah, that's the first thing it tells you. Okay, mm-hmm. now, that day where it's going, but it just they 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 unleashed big time. Uh, mm-hmm. Those two in particular, especially Italy, and we noted it in our reports somewhat before it happened that it was breaking out on some long term momentum charts, and, and sure enough, it exploded. Well, that's an interesting thing. The fact that he is not in control because he, he would not have wanted that to happen. So, some there's some degree of lack of control there on part of the that central bank which is nice to know, because we always knew that would happen. The question mm-hmm. is when and what would the effects be. Also, our T-bonds have started to rally. We anticipated that, meaning yields go down. And I knew there would probably be some reason for that. I didn't know what it would be. I thought it might be a stock sell-off that uh, sparks like the safety uh, temporarily, uh, counter-trend rally in the bonds. Uh, but I think this Italian debt thing has, has spurred both buying of German bonds and U.S. long-term debt, mm-hmm. because it's, mm-hmm. quote, safer. And, uh, right. and therefore, you've gotten the spurt in the T-bonds, which I think is temporary, but it is a needed counter-trend rally. Uh, and it's interesting that while yields are dropping here, uh, the S&P is dropping. <laughs> yes. Sort of reverse what most people would think. Uh, yep. So I love it. Uh, meanwhile, gold is uh, somewhat confused-looking. We're about 20 bucks off the recent low. And during that process of getting off that low, which was like a week or two ago, during that time, the dollar has really shot up another point or two, largely, not largely, almost exclusively because of the euro weakening. Why did the euro weaken? Because of the Italian debt problem. Uh, It brought great uncertainty, and therefore the euro dropped. And the euro is 57-plus percent of the dollar index, therefore the dollar index rallied. Now, the yen, meanwhile, is, is firming up, uh, looking a bit healthy, So, uh, and it's about 15% of the dollar index. But it was a euro event caused by the Italian debt, which helped cause the dollar to go up. But in the process, gold did not collapse, which I find interesting uh, and sort of reasonable. Uh, when your currency is getting – you've got to remember, it's not just – gold is not just a, a currency against – not just money against the dollar. It's money against the euro. It's, you know, it competes with all those fiat currencies. 
So, yeah, it's uh, uh, yeah. so gold is holding up pretty well, actually. And last I saw. So, um, Michael, you had been talking, I think, last week on our show about the possibility of another go-to-neutral call. Uh, you had some ideas yeah. about that. Um, I, I where do you stand on that, that now? For, go, for gold, that is. Report, because uh, the numbers are not clear, and they're deeper than we are now. They're, they're, you've got to go quite a few percent below where we are now before I could, would be forced to do that. Now, I would put out another number right now. I've always been saying 1350 monthly close should unleash it on the upside. That's a price chart-based assessment. All the momentum yeah. stuff is already positive. But I would now add this, this number of if you get to 1320, a daily close any time in the next month, uh, assume you just saw the low for this pullback and you're on your way back up again. So that's only eighteen dollars above what thy last quote was. So uh, yeah, I mean uh, we're looking at thirteen oh two. Yeah, eighteen bucks. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if yeah, we close, you're saying if we if we if we close the month close, there, close any day next month in the month of, of June thirteen twenty okay. uh, or higher. As far as I'm concerned, you can circle that low we made at uh, twelve eighty one forty. I think two weeks ago or uh, last week. And, and that was it. That was the pullback low. It stopped out a whole bunch of people, and then we scooted right back up into the previous price range. Uh, and like you know, uh, oh, I fell through the floor and got right back above it quickly. And markets have to do that. Uh, there's no trend in the world that's so smooth that it doesn't stop people out periodically mm-hmm. by you know yeah, shake, running through you know <laughs> shakes people out of the market, right? Yeah, you've got to cleanse the market every now and then. The boat can't be too full. So, but I'm very pleased you actually, if you stand back and look at gold for the last two, three weeks, and you look at what happened to the euro on the downside and the dollar upside, uh, gold sold well. Gold sold up yeah. very well. Yeah, it would seem so. Um, the equity market's getting hit really quite hard today, as you mentioned, even despite mm-hmm. the fact that interest... I think that's that interest, an effect of the Italian event, too. I yeah, think they, the interest rates are getting slaughtered. I mean, the interest rates are, are, getting, are falling dramatically. Um, and and yet the stocks are, are not certainly not responding because of the function of the fear of of contagion I guess I suppose with risk yeah. off today well it's really a risk off day today isn't it yeah who, who, um, who's connected to that Italian debt you know and the Spanish debt and who 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 is subject to being hurt it's not just Europeans I'll, be, I'll, yeah. I'll assure you yeah. there's quite a few investors in the Italian bond market based upon the assumption that Draghi would keep rates down that are a yeah. bit shocked right now. Yeah, doing whatever it takes, he said. He's going to do whatever it takes. Yeah. Well. So whatever, whatever it takes. Now, um, you're still seeing the the bear market in stocks as a sort of a step down and not a collapse type uh, of uh, I, I think it's an arm wrestling match that's going to be arduous. I used that adjective about a year ago. You know, is it going to be a crash or is it going to be arduous? And I it kind of went with the arduous route, and it looks like that's what's happening. You know, where they put you to sleep, then they, they drop you 10, 15%, and then they rally back about 7 or 8, and then they coil for three months, up and down and up and down. Great for if you're a two- to three-day trader, that's fine. But as far as investors go, I think it's, it's being slowly taken away from them. And, uh, you know, I, I think the market is being taken away from them, but in a manner in which it keeps them from fleeing, screaming. Instead, they, yeah. <laughs> it gives them enough solace on the way down that they stick around. It's like, the, you know, the frog in the hot water. You know, you put a frog right. in a warm pot oh, of water, little. and he, he won't jump out. You'll he'll, he'll cook him. But if you drop him in hot water, he'll hop right back out. <laughs> right. Uh, so little, little anyway. by little. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, I see we're down almost 2% on the Dow, uh, you know, 1.5% on the S&P, and the NASDAQ uh, about nine-tenths of a percent. Uh, 
So it's a pretty bloody day, and it's the kind of day that gets people's attention, I suppose. But then if we sort of level mm-hmm. off for a while, people will go back to sleep and think everything is all right, right? Yeah, yeah. Don't, yeah. don't worry, be happy. Anyway, right. it's, it's going to be tough, I think, to catch the bear market in stocks. Unless you're a uh, patient, uh, get short at, at some optimal times, don't do yeah. it all at once, and or, and or go find something else to do that might be easier to capture. Uh, mm-hmm. The one place we look at early in the year that's doing well is the grain area. It's uh, quite yeah. strong. Uh, we're pressed through the highs of the last two years on price charts now. That's about three months after momentum already said go, and uh, I think they've got a long way to go. Michael, just very quickly uh, on oil, we, you know, we're, we're getting oil was uh, up over mm-hmm. 70 bucks uh, mm-hmm. maybe five days ago or so. It's lost 8%. It's down around yeah. 66. Yeah. What are yeah. your charts saying about oil? Well, uh, two weeks ago, we put out a report saying they could break down, and we showed yeah. a number that was above 70, and it broke it, and they've dropped 4 bucks since then. It is a, I consider it a counter-trend decline I'm uncertain, when we're uncertain, we state it, about where is the upside target for this year for oil. We had targeted something in the mid-70s, and so far the high was 72.80-something, so it got close. Uh, But I'm not sure that was a high for the year. I don't think oil is going to be a power performer this year. It was Uh a power performer in commodities for the last year and a half. You know, big percent gains, I mean. Uh, I think grains will be the the leader. I think gold. uh, I think oil will continue to contribute. But its percentage gain from these levels uh, Mm -hmm. will not be as dramatic as some other markets that, for example, are just waking up, you know, like the grains. Right. Well, you, that's right. I mean, that's consistent with what you've been saying. Oil uh, and then gold were leaders and now uh, some of the others, the laggards, mm-hmm. coming on strong. Well, it's all uh, very interesting, Michael. Thank you so much for your insights. It's such a pleasure having you with us. And you, uh, we'll look to do it again next week. Well, folks, don't go away. Uh, we're going to take a commercial break. But Michael Allen, President and CEO and the Director of Northern Empire Resources, it's a company that I own and think very highly of, Um Michael will be back on um, with us right after the break to give us an update on the progress of their exploration program in Nevada. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Michael Allen. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. A gold rush has begun. Recently, three of the largest gold mining companies announced strategic acquisitions in the Yukon territories. Ahead of them was a group who had already consolidated the key claims covering the historic Klondike gold rush into one company, aptly named Klondike Gold Corp. Led by a team of accomplished geoscientists, the company is steadily advancing exploration to reveal the rich source of all that gold. The hunt for the next major discovery is well underway, and Klondike Gold's shareholders are strategically positioned. Stay ahead of the majors and follow KlondikeGoldCorp.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really glad to have with me once again Michael Allen. Uh, he's the president and CEO and a director of Northern Empire Resources. It's, he's a, a professional geologist, uh, over 20 years of experience in the mining industry, and he has extensive experience in project evaluation, recently re- reviewing in excess of 400 gold projects worldwide. And, of course, the company he's working for now um, – well, I'm sure he's been a part of the selection process in terms of finding projects that he thinks has the best chance to earn shareholders a lot of money. Thanks for joining me again, Michael. Uh, no problem at all, Jay. Glad to be here. Uh, yes, I would just like to tell our listeners, uh, your stock trades in Toronto under the symbol NM. Uh, they People can buy it down here in the States under the symbol PSPGF, as I have. Uh, if Correct me if I'm wrong, Michael, but I have you 664 Five million shares, roughly outstanding, and I saw a price earlier today, at least in New York, in the U.S. money of ninety-two cents, giving it a market cap of around sixty-one million in U.S. money. Does all that sound pretty right to you? Yep, that's uh, the, the that's the big picture. Yep. Okay, good. Um, well, you know, you're you're sitting in a very good position uh, with your sterling gold property there. You located towards the end of the of the Walker Lane geological trend. Uh, it, it's. Uh, it is unique. Your company is very unique because you have a, a fully permitted, um, you know, you're fully permitted to, to heap leach uh, there with your oxides. And you have a, a resource there, too, that you could put into production if you wanted to and when you want to, I guess. Uh, but that's a yep. pretty big advantage for you, I guess, isn't it? Having that, having that uh, fully permitted uh, heat bleach facility available to you. You could turn the you could turn it on any time, as I understand. Is that right? That that that's correct. I mean, the the way that we that we think about it is, is it, it's a, it's a backstop of value within the within the company. Uh, a lot of a lot of what I do on a on a day to day basis at the at the end of the day, it, it's about uh, about de risking uh, mm-hmm. the company. And so with that with that permitted mine. Uh, no matter what happens, there is a business that that can be developed and, and articulated, and, and given the given the grades, it's a it's a very uh, very strong business that would that we think would uh, would come out out of it. But mm-hmm. if you look at the the overall uh, structure of, of the company and and what we've done, you sort of see the the fingers of that that uh, that de-risking through, throughout it. It's um, you know, it's it's an asset that's in Nevada. Uh, right. Obviously, it's it, you know Nevada as a, as a jurisdiction is uh, is one of the the best. You know, if you look at the Fraser Institute, they've been top ten probably as long as there's been a, a Fraser Institute ranking. And, mm-hmm. and then also, I mean, it's an open pit heap leach project that's a past producer. So a lot of the the technical risks have been been taken out of it. As well, I mean, the sterling eighty-eight percent recoveries run of mine with that with that incredible grade is a, is a very uh, interesting case. And then, in the northern part of the property, in the in what we call the the crown series of deposits, these are also past producers, and they had significant uh, recoveries as well, and they were quick recoveries as well. 
Yeah, I mean, you're, you're mentioning de-risking. Here you've got, as you just said, Nevada, open pit heap leaching te- without the technical. I mean, you've already proven it's already been in production. Uh, high recovery yeah. rates, I guess when you're talking about run of mine, you're talking about material you don't really need to crush or do much with, right? Yeah, I mean, run, run of mine, the, the term is, uh, is you know, as it comes out from a, from the the mine itself, so it's it's the size that it is post blasting, um, mm-hmm. and blasting is probably the the cheapest form of crushing that you can do. So you're looking at particles that are are uh, 24 inch minus, and you know that's about the size of a microwave oven, and you can put that material onto the leach pad, and for the sterling, you can get about 88 percent of the gold to come out of it. And a big uh, de-risk aspect of your project is the fact that your project is already up and running and you don't have to go get it permitted and spend time and capital putting it together. So that's another aspect that I see. Uh, so, yeah, yeah you're I – mean, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, time is money. And, mm-hmm. and so, I mean, to have uh, that permitting process, you know, even even in a good jurisdiction like, like Nevada, it, it's, a, it's, you know, between – Two and three years to, to get a permit. If you're in a, other jurisdictions, uh, you know, if you're looking at a, a large mine in Canada, you'd probably be looking at a you know between five and ten, ten years a, as a permitting process. Um, and God knows if you were in, in some of the, the lesser jurisdictions, you know, how long it would take to, to actively permit it, and whether or not you know whether you actually get your permit, can you actually build it. I mean, those are, mm-hmm. these are risk questions that people have to, to deal with on a, on a daily basis. And, and our selection of the Sterling Proset project uh, as, a, as an asset for, for Northern Empire takes a lot of that risk out. Now, Michael, you, you could turn your project on. You could start producing. Um, what, what sort of grades would you have there uh, at your, uh, your Sterling mine that's in the southern part of the Sterling Gold property? Uh, and where your heap leach project is, what sort of grades would we would you be looking at uh, placing on the on the pads? The 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 resource estimate that we've got has a has an inferred grade of three point six uh, grams per ton. Wow, uh, these are metric metric numbers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, well, that's that's quite outstanding for uh, for heap leach, and the, and then to be able to uh, with that kind of metallurgy very ease of recovery and so forth well let me ask you this then why if you can go into production right away you've chosen not to at this stage and you're focusing most if correct me if i'm wrong but i believe most of your attention uh, up in uh, the northern part the crown portion which you call referred to as the crown portion where there's a number of very highly prospective and some really great drill results that you've gotten up there. You completely surround the Corvus Gold Motherload project, which has been getting a lot of attention. That stock has done extremely well. And yours has done pretty well, too, considering the, the market conditions we're in. And you've had some pretty darn good uh, assays. I mean, I'm looking at some things here that are just almost you know, on the, on the edge of spectacular, I would say. Uh, talk to us about the decision that your management team has made not to produce right now, but to focus more on the exploration potential of the northern part of your property. Yeah, and, and to, to sort of explain the logic, I, I, I'll take a, a step back. In 2017, we acquired the, the asset, and uh, there was a lot of things that, that we knew, and there was a lot of things that, that uh, we didn't know. And so as part of our sort of focus on, on and theme of, of de-risking, we focused on the sterling mine, and we 
drilled a, a bunch of, of drilling there and really got our, our arms around it and understood where what it is, where it's going, and, and, and we're able to, 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 again, de-risk it. Now mm-hmm. we've transitioned into, into 18, and we're, we're casting our eye a bit further to a field and looking at the at those those northern deposits, the Crown series, and mm-hmm. working around them. So it's it's a it's a working you know it's a it's a well thought out business plan to go de-risk progressively and expand the the resources. And it's and and you've seen uh, you know how the stock has performed. I think that it's it's a theme that that a lot of shareholders uh, understand. Now, when we've actually gone into the north, into the, the crown series of deposits, these, these as you say, they, they borderline on, uh, on spectacular uh, results. I mean, we put out a hole uh, this spring. It was 124 meters or 1.4 grams, yeah. 70 meters <laughs> of 1. Uh, 1.79, 1.8. Uh, we just put out a hole this morning, which was a step-out hole uh, outside of the, the known resource ballpark number. You're looking at probably... 60 meters, 200 feet outside the known resource, and it was 33 meters or 0.6. I mean, these are significant intercepts in the in the the state of Nevada and and you know pretty much worldwide. You know when you're you're dealing with uh, oxide resources that are close mm-hmm. to, to surface and around past producers. I mean there there are there's considerable value that was left in the in the ground by people that that were there uh, in the past and, and mining under under different uh, regimes. The, uh, mm-hmm. the crown series of deposits were mined at a time when gold was sort of bet- you know, going down from four hundred dollars an ounce to two sixty, and right. so they left <laughs> a lot of value at twelve or thirteen hundred dollar an ounce gold in the in the ground. Yeah, I mean, the, the, certainly the gold price has not has not provided any wind at your backs or the backs of anybody, and yet your stock has performed. Quite well. Uh, you have, I believe, about four different targets up there. Do you see these as these are, are separate um, targets, or there might be some combination between them? Or what? What is your thought? What, what What are you thinking in terms of the size and scope of these deposits? Yeah. Um, the in my mind's eye, and the, and this is you know, subject to change by engineering. Um, the Sterling Mine is a standalone operation, and then mm-hmm. the Crown will bundle together into into one uh, into one operation. Uh, mm-hmm. That's how it was was done in the in the past. There are there are two separate two separate operations, Sterling and and what they they called the old Daisy Mine. The wild card in this is sort of what you've uh, you've alluded to is there's Corvus there as well, and mm-hmm. so we've got. We've got three deposits in, in the in the crown in the and then Corvus is there with uh, with mother load mm-hmm. and so it's sort of a, a very interesting thing. It sort of it vaguely feels like a, an early days of, of AUAX and Frontier in the Long Canyon trend, which yeah. is a, a very interesting uh, transaction for for shareholders of, of those companies. Yeah, it certainly was. Uh, people made a yeah. nice uh, piece of change there on that. On that, but I mean, yeah. you have the SNA, the Shear Zone, the Daisy, and the Secret Pass. Uh, yeah, it's um, it, it's very interesting, and and you're right in the middle there of next to, between your Secret Pass and SNA is the Corvus, which is getting all kinds of attention, and they seem to be expanding yeah. a little bit to the west now. I see, but yep. boy, they don't have too far to go. <laughs> no, it's it's uh, it's a relatively small uh, land package. I think that that uh, that that property. 
is a, is eleven claims, uh, and it's about uh, I'll call it point six of a of a square mile. And then there's our property, uh, which is 141 square kilometers, or about uh, 95 square miles, if, if I'm doing my math correctly. I mean, it, it's they're contained within us, and you know, if they want, if they can, are able to expand it, that's 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 great, because it just gives us more information on where we should drill on our side of the of the line. With just a couple of minutes left yet, uh, your 15,000 meter drill program, which you're nearing an end to and, and expect to complete it, as I understand it, early in the summer. Uh, how what did you expect to accomplish with that, and and how would you sum it up? Is it is it going as good as expected? Um, I I say it it, it exceeds expectations. the The mm-hmm. goal was to uh, to uh, get our understanding of the northern deposits uh, up, and then mm-hmm. also frame out the the next phase uh, of drilling and expanding those resources. So. It's it's interesting. We've uh, we've been able to to step out from all the the resources and hit. Um, as we discussed earlier, there was uh, there's the up dip at holes from uh, from Daisy. We hit twice, uh, and continue to expand expand that. And we're we're suggesting that there's a uh, there's stacked zones there, so which will be interesting to to see in mm-hmm. the future. Then at uh, at Secret Pass, which is sort of the middle deposit in the Crown, uh, we stepped out 200 meters. From the uh, from the known resource and hit a hole that was 38 meters of 0.95. It's Good. a, it's a yeah. big uh, step out and a big intercept, um, uh-huh. and, and so there's more more work to be done. So our plan was this year was sort of to frame out where we could see expansion opportunities and then mm-hmm. be able to come in later on in in the fall for a, for a larger drill program and really start to uh, to bang off the, those resources or bang off the uh, drill holes and then lead into a resource update for some time in, in 2019. That's great. You just answered the question, then what do you expect to do next? And I think, well, you've just answered it. Well, that should be very exciting if you can start to fill in uh, some of the space yeah. between these deposits. Um, just, just real quickly, uh, your share structure, uh, who owns your company? And, and maybe just a quick comment on your management team, because you've had a very successful track record yourself yeah. and other key members of your management team. Yeah, I'll, I'll go with the management team first, and, and obviously yep. there, there's there's considerable wins that have, have been uh, been made for shareholders. Uh, you look at Doug Hurst, who was a founder of both uh, New Market and, and International Royalties. Uh, collectively, they were sold for 1.7 billion dollars. Um, what New, New Market was sold to Kirkland Lake Gold, and that company has continued to perform. Largely based uh, on the the, uh, the Fosterville asset, which is what they they bought from uh, from Newmarket. We also have the the team that uh, that created uh, um, Kamenak, which is John Robinson mm-hmm. and Jim Peterson. And sure. There's also the underworld underworld team, which is a a story that is uh, probably eight years ago because that story that uh, transaction funded my wedding. Uh, uh-huh. uh, but that also that that asset is called White Gold, and that's uh, that's now being uh, Resurfaced up in the in the Yukon. Mm-hmm. Excellent. And your uh, your shareholders yeah. who 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 owns your company primarily? Management has a chunk. I know. Management has a chunk, and then the single largest shareholder is uh, is Coor Mining, uh-huh. and they're the the U.S. Uh, silver producer that that your uh, that your listeners will will know. Um, they've got uh, I believe it's five mines in the in the Americas: uh, Kensington, Rochester, Wharf. Um, Palmerejo, 
and oh god, I'm missing the the last one. Um, but they're they're a very interested shareholder in us, and and obviously they they like it for the same reasons that that we do. The grade, mm-hmm. it's Nevada. It's something that you can permit and build and go forward. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, I, I think this is really an interesting story, and I, I hope our listeners will follow up on it. Uh, there's a lot of information on your website. Of course, uh, as, a, as a newsletter writer, I follow it, write about it as often as there's some significant news that comes out. So uh, I want to thank you very much, Michael, for being with us. Anything, one last word, anything else you'd like to just say before we conclude our discussion today? Yeah, I think that one of the, the things that need to, to be, uh, that we are active. I mean, it's, it's a difficult time in, in the gold space for, for juniors to be able to, to access capital and be able to put news news out. And you look at what Northern has been able to do with the management team and the asset being able to raise money and, and be able to um, judiciously spend it in order to increase shareholder value is something that uh, that the team here is very proud of. And are you funded for the fall program, or will you need to go back to the bank to the to the well? Right now, right now we've got uh, about thirteen million dollars in the till. Wonderful, excellent. Okay. Good note to close right. on. Thank you very much, uh, Michael, for being with us, and we'll look forward to keeping up with your story going forward. All okay, right, folks. Well, all right, you bet. Uh, we're going to break now. When we come back, John Rubino with it will be with us to t- discuss the uh, some of the same topics we just talked to Michael Oliver about the dollar, uh, gold, um, interest rates, and uh, those kind of topics, along with oil, which is what we were going to talk about before it did a reverse to the downside. Don't go away. We'll be right back with John Rubino. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Noble Resources Corp. trades on the OTCQX under the symbol NSRPF and on the TSX Venture Exchange under NVO. Its flagship assets are located in the Karatha region of Western Australia, where they are currently drilling and trenching their Purdy's reward project. In addition, Nobo has partnered with Sumitomo Mining Corporation to advance its Beaton's Creek Gold project toward production. With over $70 million in cash and strong shareholder support from the likes of Kirkland Lake Gold, Nobo is well on its way to establishing itself as one of the top junior explorers and developers in Australia. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have John Rubino with me once again. John um, is a popular financial website, but he really overlooks and manages a, a very popular website. It's one I look at uh, frequently throughout the week, dollarcollapse.com. He is a co-author with uh, Gold Money's James Turk uh, of the Money Bubble, 
uh, What to Do Before It Pops, and he's the author of a number of other books as well. Uh, thanks for joining me again, uh, John. Thanks for being with us again. Thanks for having me back, Jay. Always good to have you with us, and uh, always good to have you as my uh, as my step-in host when I have to go away, and I'm planning to do that uh, June 19th. I'm really pleased that you're going to be uh, coming on to host this show then, and we'll look forward to seeing who you want to select as a guest. It's going to be interesting. I know you had Chris Martinson the last time, who's uh, one of my favorite people, really good guy. Uh, so uh, I look forward to, um, to having you give me a break as Mrs. Taylor and I uh, take a little vacation. Um, anyway, welcome. Thanks, thanks for joining me. It's really good to have you with us again, John. And, uh, sure. I, you know, I, um, we were going to talk about oil today, and that was uh, when we started to think about this week's show. Oil was above 70 bucks, I don't know, 71, 72, somewhere in that range, or even higher, I don't know for sure, but it was, it was going up. Uh, and we were going to form our show around that, but in the meantime, oil has come off quite a bit, so it's 66 bucks earlier today, 66 and change. Um, do you have a view as to why oil is uh, getting hit so hard? Well, yeah, oil looked like it was originally rising on um, – Turmoil in the Middle East, uh, the U.S. and Iran uh, were butting heads, and then we had the uh, the North Korea thing, which scared everyone. And, and so oil is kind of a safe haven asset. People were buying it based on the expectation that um, that it would go up in price because of geopolitical tensions. Also, um, Saudi Arabia and Russia were making noises about um, pulling back on their production in order to boost prices. So for, for oil, it was uh, a lot of things that when added together – equaled higher prices since that time though (laughs) the opposite has happened (laughs) yeah i I think russia and russia and uh, saudi arabia came together and said that they would actually increase production or at least not reduce it yeah they're they're trying to figure out how to deal with uh, with the increase in u.s production and they really have two choices one they could flood the market themselves push down prices which bankrupt a lot of our new drillers here or they could just let us take market share and pull back on their own production and in that way push prices up so they make more money per barrel of oil sold. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they chose the former after mm-hmm. flirting with the latter. And uh, yeah, it looks like they'll, they'll um, produce more and other things being equal that will hurt are drillers, but maybe not so much. If oil stays around the 60, where is it, 66 today for um, yeah, West Texas hard. Intermediate? Yeah, yeah that's, that's still a profitable level for just about everybody. So the, the oil market, if it stays here, um, becomes a non-factor. But if it, if it had kept on going up, there were a lot of reasons to be worried because rising oil prices um, are, are dangerous for a lot of of different parts of the financial sector. It would have pumped up inflation for one thing, which would have led the Fed to feel obligated to raise interest rates more. And so you take that away and and you get less pressure on interest rates, which is one of the reasons that US long-term rates have plunged lately. The the 10-year treasury yield was well above 3% a couple of weeks Mm -hmm. ago, and now it's 280 something. So, You know, in some ways, there's um, a relaxation in the financial markets. And then in other ways, uh, for instance, stock prices are tanking today. Um, There's heightened tension. So what we're seeing today is is kind of a a flow of capital away from risky assets and towards relatively safe assets. Yeah, it certainly Um, is a a risk-off day for sure. It's a a big risk-off day. But, I mean, 
in in light of falling interest rates, one might expect otherwise for the stock market to be a bit stronger, not certainly not to tank as it has. How do you explain that? Well, it depends on why interest rates are falling. If yeah. it's because um, everybody's terrified and money's flowing into treasuries, a lot of that money would have come out of equities. And that's kind of what's happening. And And the main reason for it is Italy. <laughs> My people are once again causing trouble in the global Yes, global that's right. <laughs> you, you, folks with, you folks with a vowel at the end of your name are all responsible for what's going on today. Yes, yeah. we are. We're just troublemakers. Right. Um, and and the, the general story in Italy is that uh, it's been hard for them to manage in a monetary system that was designed by and for Germany. In other words, a, a fairly sound money system is hard for a country that's debt-ridden and not very efficient. In, in Italy's recent history, prior to the adoption of the euro, they would run up a bunch of debts and have a crisis, and then they would just devalue the lira, kind of wipe the slate clean and start over. Um, they don't have that ability now with the euro. The euro is going to do what the euro is going to do, and usually that's what Germany wants it to do, and not necessarily what Italy wants. And so they're they're stuck with a currency that's too strong for their national financial habits, and they're running up huge amounts of debt. Um, their banking system is a mess, and and so most recently they um, they responded to that set of problems by electing a couple of parties, or, or by giving most of the votes to a couple of parties that were populist, one from the left, one from the right, and they're anti-Euro and anti-austerity, and they've been trying to form a government. They have the, uh, the votes to do it, but the president of Italy, who has to sign off on their people, on, on the people they put in place in the government, uh, refuses to sign off on, on their guy for premier, and has hmm. put a former IMF official in instead, and that enraged Italy's voters, and they're going to have a flash election, which might swing even further in the populist direction after this usurpation of um, electoral power by the the president, who didn't get elected this time around. Um, That could lead to an election that's even more unsettling for financial markets than the last one. And in some ways, that's what the global financial system is reacting to right now. The prospect of an even more anti-Euro, anti-austerity Italy that might just pull out of the Eurozone and go back to the Lira, which raises all kinds of questions like what happens to all the Italian debt that's denominated in Euros and that is held by banks or pension funds or the European Central Bank, um, does it just convert over to Lira at a big discount and everybody have to take a loss or does something else happen? Nobody knows. <laughs> so nobody wants to find out either uh, outside of um, the populist parties in Italy. Uh, and so, so this could have legs, could go further from here. So let me ask you, so you have a populist of the left and a populist of the right. You, you've got both of them trying to form a coalition, kind of? Yeah, like yeah. Huh. So it's really anti-establishment is what it is. And some probably want to go more socialist um, and some want to go more free market. Is exactly. That, you know, yeah. you, you get beyond the um, we don't want the euro anymore and mm-hmm. we don't want austerity anymore. And then you've got a completely different set of policies to the extent that they have coherent policies. Populist parties tend to um, to focus on opposing the elite 
that is bleeding dry the 99%. That's usually the uh, the platform of a populist party. And then once they get in office, they, they look around and think, oh my God, we have to make decisions about all this other stuff that we haven't even thought about. And, yes. <laughs> and, and so you get chaos. And now you've got two populist parties who be below the, um, the headline planks in their platforms are very different. So it, it's not clear that they could run a coherent government in any event, which just adds to the anxiety in the financial markets. Italy is not an inconsequential country. They're the third biggest economy in the Eurozone. Mm-hmm. So this is vastly more dangerous than Brexit, for instance, because Great Britain wasn't even in the Eurozone. They have their own currency. And they still, to this day, can't figure out how to separate themselves from the European Union. So let Italy try to, to pull out of the Eurozone and, and you have potential chaos. No, nobody knows how it'll play out exactly, but it looks harder to do than what Britain is right now failing to do. So everybody's worried with good reason. So we've got the pigs, that's uh, Portugal, Italy, which we're talking about, Greece and uh, Spain. Uh, Portugal, Greece and Spain are, are, are considered to be, well, Greece has had its problems, but Portugal and Spain now, are they considered they're next on the, on the docket for some problems potentially? Well, Portuguese, might, yeah. Yeah, Portuguese bonds have been tanking lately in, right. in sympathy with um, Italy's. Spain, interestingly, um, their, their bonds haven't, behaved as badly, but they've got a political crisis too. There's a big scandal going on right now in which the uh, the sitting president of Spain might get kicked out of office and his party might be replaced by some other party, a coalition of left-right populist parties. Oh boy. Um, and, and so far, people aren't taking that prospect too seriously based on how Spanish securities are trading. But should it move from possible to probable, and then there's a big problem. And then and Spain is big too. You know, I think they're right behind Italy in in terms of um, GDP within the eurozone. So if you have the let's say third and fourth biggest countries in a twenty some country family getting ready to pull out then you've got the potential for a very serious currency crisis that is existentially threatening to the euro. So from the point of view of the global financial system, when the second most important currency is faced with an existential threat, you want to pull in your horns. You don't want to own a bunch of financially risky assets because you just don't know what's going to happen in the future. So that hence the risk off. In the hence, uh, hence a stronger dollar, a stronger treasury, treasury as uh, treasury instruments in the U.S. today. Uh, rates. I mean, it's pretty remarkable that uh, the tenure has collapsed as much as it has collapsed. I don't know, maybe too strong a word. It's fallen dramatically. Um, where do we go from here? Uh, you know, Michael Oliver, who we have on during the first segment almost every week, is uh, again reiterating his view that the dollar is in a bear market. I think he sees this as a counter-trend rally. He sees that for the treasuries as well. Uh, I guess nobody knows for sure, uh, unless you do, John. And if you do, I hope you'll tell us. Well, well, Jay, all fiat currencies are in a long-term bear market because they're all going to zero. They're a flawed concept that will fail in the not-too-distant future. But where the, uh, the stuff we were talking about before gets really interesting even more interesting in the uh, the Chinese curse sense uh, is 
that, that the dollar is spiking right now because of uh, worried capital flowing into the U.S. Mm-hmm. And the emerging markets, co- countries like Mexico and Brazil and Argentina and China, um, over the past few years have all issued a lot of dollar-denominated bonds, thinking that the dollar would fall relative to their domestic currencies, which would make those bonds much easier to service. Uh-huh. Now the opposite is happening. Interest rates, or, or sorry, the, the value of the dollar is going up, which means these guys have to pay back those loans in an appreciating currency, which is vastly harder than the opposite. So. You're seeing a lot of turmoil in emerging markets, stocks and bonds and currencies as people digest the this new threat. What's going to happen to Mexico's finances if they have to pay back their dollar denominated bonds uh, with the dollar soaring or, you know, Argentina is already in the um, intermediate stages of a currency collapse. Venezuela is gone. Uh, Brazil is right now paralyzed by a trucker strike that mm. is making it harder to pay back their debts in any event. <laughs> you know, now, now they've got um, the, the terms of currency exchange rates moving against them at the same time that they've got civil unrest paralyzing the country. Nobody knows what's going to happen there. Um, so emerging market securities, which were the darlings of the financial world for the past few years, have turned into radioactive hot potatoes. Nobody wants to own them anymore. Uh, so all of a sudden, Jay, the world has gotten even scarier. You know, not that it wasn't scary uh, a couple of years ago, but in the intervening few years, including President Trump's antics out there in trade and and uh, in in military and geopolitical affairs, and interest rates starting to go back up, and all the pathologies of rising home prices and extremely wildly fluctuating currencies. Uh, you know, all of this stuff is is adding together to make the world a very dangerous seeming place. So it wouldn't be a surprise if the trend towards safe haven assets had legs from here. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, China has been trying to uh, distance itself or sever its uh, reliance or its use of the dollar in international trade. It has set up the uh, it has its uh, oil exchange now uh, in Shanghai. It has its gold exchange in Shanghai. Uh, certainly uh, Russia and China, maybe Iran and maybe even Turkey and some other countries that are sort of forming trade unions or trying to. Uh, I, you know, as I understand it, the oil trade now, the uh, Iran, for example, won't take dollars anymore. Uh, they're demanding euros when they sell into Europe and they're demanding and they're not and they're just simply not going to take dollars uh, and they can go to China and take yuan I'm not sure how many people really want or could use yuan it's not really that that used in the international scene so you'd almost need to have something more usable or something uh, the idea that you could that, that uh, exporters of oil to China could you know could um, sell forward on the on on the oil exchange and then if they don't want yuan could exchange the yuan for gold do you think uh, some people are making a big deal that do you think that has any long-term potential for helping china move away from its uh, reliance on the dollar well long term is the operative phrase yeah. here because uh-huh. uh, right now the dollar is is still the only game in town because it's 
by far the most important currency out there in terms of reserve assets and trade flows. And uh, the fact that Russia and China and to an extent India and several other countries would like to use their own currencies in bilateral trade and would like their currencies to be respected enough to be considered viable reserve assets. That, that's completely understandable. These are big, important economies that who, whose currencies ought to be also big and important in the world. But it's a ways away from actually threatening the dollar because uh, the dollar is just so entrenched. It's still 60-some mm-hmm. percent of um, central bank reserve assets out there, and it's still a big, big percentage of global trade. Mm-hmm. But I think the trend is in that direction just because these other countries are are becoming more developed, richer, more powerful, more consequential. So it's completely reasonable that, for instance, their militaries ought to have more sway in the world, that their, uh, their trade flows ought to become more important, and that their currencies ought to play a bigger role in the world. So just in a normal evolution in which, let, let's say we don't have this gigantic financial crisis out there for a minute. We do, but let's pretend we don't for a minute. You, you would expect these developing countries that are becoming more and more powerful to have currencies that uh, eat into the dollar's dominance. Mm-hmm. And that's happening. But it's a while away from actually challenging or threatening the dollar's place in the world. All right. Uh, so the current uh, crisis is uh, it, it is maybe slowing down that process because the go-to safe haven is the U.S. dollar. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to just uh, with a couple of minutes left here, I'd like to just run by an Alistair McLeod uh, topic that he's brought to this show on a couple of occasions, and that is the credit cycle. Alistair talks about us being at that point in the cycle in which rates start to rise. Banks have to start selling their treasuries because they're losing positions. Of course, today they're making money if they're holding treasuries, but they're the losing position on the treasuries, and then they take the proceeds and make loans into the real economy. So then you start to have more demand. Wages even start to rise a bit, and you start to have, you know, demands. Commodity prices are, are on the upsurge because money is getting into the real economy. And Alistair believes that that will continue to run until uh, until it breaks down. Uh, do you see this uh, this problem arising now in Italy uh, and in Europe as something that could put could end that or or make it a very short lived? Um, final phase of the cycle that Alistair is talking about? Well, every, every cycle is different, of yeah. course. They, um, they rhyme, but they don't match perfectly. But uh, people have been waiting for banks to start deploying some of their excess reserves for a really long time. Instead, banks have been happy just to sit with, mm-hmm. uh, with that money at the Fed and collect a little bit of interest for absolute free. No risk, no mm-hmm. muss, no fuss. Big year-end bonus for bank executives, and, and it's worked out really well for them. But as you said... Uh, towards the end of a cycle, you do see banks start to ramp up lending. And for instance, that's happening in real estate now where um, home prices are just soaring. Yeah. So to the extent that you can qualify for a mortgage and that you can find somebody to sell a house to you, um, you you're going to be borrowing a ton of money to buy that house. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's happening elsewhere in the market too, where business lending seems to be up. And so, so it's following the script. Um, but, of course, something could happen to derail it if the, the crisis is serious enough to be a game changer. Um, 
it remains to be seen whether uh, Italy can affect the eurozone in a way that would stop the this part of the credit cycle cold. Uh, I don't know, but if if it were to do that, then we could dr- drop right back down into a 2008-2009 scenario because we're plenty mm-hmm. highly leveraged for that. We've oh, got yeah. enough potentially bad debt out there to blow up that as soon as conditions are right for that, uh, it, it, we could see a crisis much worse than what we saw a decade ago just because the numbers are so much bigger. Right. You know, there's right. nothing ideological about this. We, we no. borrowed twice as much money, so no. we have twice the risk or more, more than All twice right. the risk. All right, John, we're going to have to leave it go at that. It's uh, not a happy picture you're painting, but of course, uh, all of our listeners know you need to own some gold in, in light of, the, uh, of these things that are going on, gold. Uh, in place of uh, fiat currencies, which are all going to zero, as you say. Thanks so much for being with us today, John, and uh, look to do it again sometime uh, in the not-too-distant future, and look forward to you hosting the show, too, in a few weeks down the road. Great. All right, folks, well, that is all the time we have this week. Um, Next week, I'm going to to have Keith Wiener back with me again and Michael Oliver. Uh, Until then, goodbye, and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Bonterra Resources, an advanced exploration company, is aggressively expanding its high-grade gladiator gold deposit in Quebec, Canada. Over the last 12 months, Bonterra has raised over $60 million and has attracted strategic investors Eric Sprott, Kirkland Lake Gold, and New York-based Vanek Gold Fund. Bonterra is focused on updating its 43-101 resource in the second half of 2018 and will incorporate up to an additional 100,000 meters of drilling, where the dimensions of the Gladiator deposit have been expanded to date nearly 500%. Bonterra trades in Canada under the symbol BTR and in the U.S. under the symbol BONXF. Oren Resources is a technically driven, capital-efficient exploration company focused on delivering shareholder value through accretive project acquisition and discovery. The company's management team has a record of success in the discovery, advancement, and monetization of exploration assets. Oren's focus is on advancing its seven premier gold exploration projects located in Canada and Peru. Oren's shares trade on the TSX in Canada and the NYSE American in the U.S. under the stock symbol AUG. For more information, please visit orenresources.com.